was very excited that I could come to this space. Knowing that this space is available is something that kept me very excited and motivated. Like I was excited to, to come here despite the very difficult week it was. Non-judgmental listening is hard to find. Mm. Yeah, that's the whole intention behind it, right? It's just like, it's, it's you, you manifest this, this positive energy into the space and then it becomes a space that you can trust to have that type of energy when you need it. So like, it's dope for me to be in a place where I have this space to be able to enjoy it and I can rely on that for that, you know? And so it's like when you, when, when you have that access, then you immediately want that to be the space for somebody else because a lot of people are hurting, bro. A lot of people are hurting. Big facts. Big facts. And I hope everybody out here listening to this, even just through the vulnerability of you being willing to say, like, Times is hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm operating at 80%. There's 20 missing. You know, I think that that vulnerability creates that safe. It's, it's part of what you need to create that, that space of safety. And so uh, anybody listening, I hope that y'all feel that this is a safe space for y'all too. So jump in the comments, like, subscribe, you know what I mean? All that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that being said, they shouldn't get it twisted that we haven't come ready with this energy and this carefully curated content for their head top, bro. We don't care what it is. Rain, what is it? What's, how does the say go? Rain, shine, sleep, snow. I don't think they put shine in there because I think it's kind of understood that if it is shine, that everything <laughs> will be fine. I didn't even mean to rhyme, but it happens all the time. But what I was saying is that like rain, sleet, hail, snow, I think is what it is. But that being said, even if it's shining, we'll be trapping. So that, you know, <laughs> that's the motto over here. Big big oh, man. The house, Get Right Radio, all the way live is in full effect. What up, people? How y'all doing? What it do? What it do? What it do? Can we get some air horns, some gunshots to be able to welcome our people to this lovely space of ours, please, sir? Well, since you asked so nicely, sir. How y'all doing out there, man? Uh, one gunshot, one gunshot for everybody that's going through some tough times, please. Thank you, thank you. Thank <laughs> I don't you. know, if the, I don't know if the people going through a tough times needed a gunshot, <laughs> but you got one. You got one. Nah, hey, man, thanks. Thanks. The gunshots in this space be something different, though. I'll gunshots and positive gunshots. Break that down. These are, it's just a, it's a celebratory sound. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a celebratory sound. So for us, we're flipping something that's, a, that's associated with the negative sound with a little bit of positivity. When we say gunshots, we just mean big up yourself, like my Jamaican brothers like to say. Oh, I like how you just did that, man. I like how you just did that. Hey, man, you caught me middle of this lovely introduction. As we say, where there's one person, 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, a million people, it don't matter to us, man. Everybody's welcome. We welcome everybody to the All The Way Live podcast. This right here, as we have said earlier, is nothing more than a positive space surrounded by carefully... You see, I'm, gonna get, I'm, try, I'm trying a new intro, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to remix it and throw some new sauce on it. I was digging it. I was digging it. I thought Puff was about to, uh, what, bad boy. <laughs> I thought it was coming. Hey, man, but that being said, that being said, man, you know, this is a positive space and a conversation between two brothers, two best friends. I'm uh, one half of the hosting team, uh, Zulaki Gila, and I'm joined with my brother, Miles Xavier, and together we are the All The Way Live podcast, and what we do is we take this carefully curated content and we put it together for Ukrainian, man, and today's show is something that's fun. You know, we're coming off of a, of a guest episode before, so we got, we got some, uh, some pretty exciting, fun topics for the day. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. What up, people? Chicago is in the building. Joe Berg is in the building. This side, you know what it is. This podcast is filmed on stolen land, right? We operating in the space of the Potawatomi people, the Council of the Three Fires. The violence that was done to them to remove them from this land is inseparable from the state we find ourselves in, the state we find this city in and moving forward we just want to lift up love between black and brown people the world over lift up love for indigenous people the world over 
intro over. Let's get it tuned to the show. What you yes, got for sir. us, Way? Yes, sir, Brother Miles. What we put together for the people today and how we put it together is by separating the show into three different parts. Now, these three different parts are Stumble Upon, and this is when me and Miles begin to talk about some of the topics and things that we have stumbled upon over the week. These are thoughts, things, and alliteration would have led me to another T word. A little, you know, thoughts, things, and topics. Boom. Thoughts, things, and topics. <laughs> Got them. Got them. Come on, son. Thoughts, things, and topics uh, that have been interesting <laughs> to us. Um, and that's the stumble part. And today we're going to be talking about them building a hotel in the sky. Miles Xavier. <laughs> I hope they don't have any of those flies in the sky. For people that are just listening, there's a fly that is bothering me in the studio right now. But you like Floyd Mayweather dodged them. Uh, you showed a little bit of your skill right there. I seen how you just kind of moved. You got good head movement. But also, I know nothing about this hotel in the sky, my my guy. And I hate to reveal how the lack of pre-production. But I don't know what you're talking about. But I'm excited. Keep telling the people <laughs> what they go get. Hey man, listen. From Stumble Upon, we take people to current news, and in current news, this is where me and Miles reach for the very top of what's relevant in today's news cycle. We digest that. We break it down for y'all, and we bring it. To y'all, and today we're gonna to be talking about again, again, again Jay Z's deal with Title and Square. Jay Z selling majority shares of Title to Square, and you know me and Miles Xavier, we love ourselves a good economics business conversation, especially when it includes black excellence, man. Boom! What else you need? That's what you're gonna get. I know they're ready. But what I else? Did. Is there anything else? I there is more. more. And I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and the last section of the show, man, this is recommended and review. And we say this every week, Miles Xavier, this is our favorite part of the show. And why is that, my brother? Just the part where we interact with y'all, man. Where we take what y'all recommend us to watch. And we watch it. And then we tell y'all what we think. And then y'all tell us what y'all think about what we think. It's a beautiful <laughs> circle. <laughs> but what are we going to be recommending? <laughs> what are the people recommending for us this week, bro? Yeah, this dude. All right, I'm going to just tell the people. This guy, we was playing music before the podcast, and this guy got a little carried away, man. He just ran through the whole music set. We was playing all his hits, you know what I mean? But then we didn't even talk about what we was going to do for the show. He was just like, played our little intro song that gets us hype, and we was in. <laughs> and I was like, all right, bet. But what we could talk about is uh, I saw Coming to America too. So I can that is a great answer. I don't know. I don't know if you saw it. If you didn't see it, I can answer any questions you might have about it. If you did see it, we could chop it up. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think one half of us watching it is about exactly the amount of people that should watch Coming to America too. We in here. I did. I did. Miles Xavier. Let's keep it pushing. Let's keep it keep it pushing for my stumble upon. So. Right. There's a hotel in the sky. <laughs> There's a hotel in the sky. Listen, you know, over here, we like to deal with facts. We don't deal with just rumors, Miles Xavier. So there's some things I need to read. All right. You're going to have to break it down for us, champ. Yo, nigga, your brother told us how you be all into reading and shit. Hey, that's some real good shit, my nigga, for real. Congratulations, nigga. As he takes his glasses on, off, and back on again. Yeah, yeah, for dramatic effect. For dramatic effect. <laughs> so this is from uh, this is off of CNN this week. World's first space hotel scheduled to open in 2027. If you're daydreaming of future travels while stuck at home during the pandemic, why fantasize about the beaches of Bali or the canals of Venice when vacationing space could be the future? Back in 2019, Californian company, the Gateway Foundation, released plans for a cruise ship style hotel that could one day float above the Earth's atmosphere. Then called the Von Braun Station, the futuristic com concept compromised of 24 modules connected by elevator shafts that make up a rotating wheel orbiting Earth was scheduled to be fully operational by 2027. Let me read that again. The futuristic concept compromised of 24 modules connected by elevator shafts that make up a rotating wheel orbiting the Earth was scheduled to be fully operational by 2027. So let me share with you what, this, what it looks like. Or you can you can look it up on your side what 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 this particular thing looks like. Um yeah, I'm imagining something very like Star Trek, very very like uh, interstellar looking, right? The orbiting space station. Uh, 
and it quite frankly makes me seasick. But also, I think that's 2027 is a lot sooner than I would have anticipated than I've ever thought like I would be seeing people hoteling, vacationing in space, right? Now, mm. I'm taking that date with a grain of salt because, you know, we always pushing back the album date. So maybe, tw- but even 2030 is, a, is a sooner than I even thought about the idea of people. I mean, we've thought about the idea, but realistically for there to be a hotel under construction, that's crazy. Now, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you, you said how taking it with a grain of salt because a lot of the times when I get, when we hear these types of news, for instance, with the Boring Company and Elon Musk, they were supposed to have put a tunnel under LA um, 2019 or 2018 as they had initially projected. Don't fact check me on those numbers. That is a guess. And so a lot of the times we get these things and it doesn't usually, it doesn't usually, um, it doesn't usually happen when they say it's going to happen, but the concept of a hotel in the sky, that is it's cool. It's a cool idea, but I don't know if I'm going to be one of those people that is, that's just gunning to get up there. It looks like there's a lot of margin of error up there. I like how you, uh, and that's the funny thing about this conversation, right? Is like, I, as much as your thoughts about your willingness to go up there or not are valid, you can't afford it. I'm imagining. <laughs> you just told me you know to mean? get that problem out of my head. <laughs> I'm just saying, dude. Like, I don't think that's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be like the the west the Western Express, bro. I don't think you're gonna be able to pull in that mug for fifty bucks a night and park up <laughs> and see some. Some space shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not uh, gonna be that man. easy. You don't see it be a seamless one a day trip on the last second day trip. It's like, you know, let's go to the space station, man. Let's go chill over there. I see it being very exclusive, very expensive, to the point of potentially being invite only, at least especially at the beginning, right? And if not to be blackity black about it, but when I think about it, it's like this is another frontier, and it goes beyond like blackness, right? It's it's also a class thing, but it's also like, all right, so now who's gonna get to be in space? Like rich people, right? And I just think what that says about who we're sending up there and making that a luxury experience, I just says thinks says a lot about who we are. That's all. I'm okay with it being a luxury experience. I mean. Not everything, it, 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 some things are just luxury experiences. You know what I mean? If you want to take, they have, um, they have Air, Air Galactic that Virgin, Virgin Air had a while back. They did these various space tours, right? I mean, for a certain amount of, and then people pay a certain amount of cash and then they get to go into zero gravity, those zero gravity tours. At first they were expensive and then they started like listening up on the prices. So I'm not against things being reserved for, the, being reserved for for the few that can afford it, if that's what it's for, it's it's um. I don't think we need to be in space. If that is, I hope that's not too too strong of a statement to make. But I don't see the I don't see the need to race there when there's so much here on Earth that we still need to figure out. So if that is a luxury thing that stays there, so what, man? There's some rich people do that. I agree with you. I mean, I I agree. I don't know if we necessarily need to be in space, if that's a physical, like, human need. But then, so think about this, right? Like, think about it as, like, the sea, right? Like, you don't need to live by the ocean. You don't need to see. You don't need to have waterfront property at any point in your life, right? You know what I mean? But, like, at a certain point, I think that's a beautiful thing for people to be able to experience. And even the extent of people buying up waterfront property, and making it private beaches where people can't, regular citizens who can't afford to pay for that experience can't have access to just being able to go to the beach, right? And like, there have been uh, things put in place by different governments to prevent that, to keep certain beaches public. But I think about that, you know what I mean? And yeah, I'm being a bleeding heart about it for sure. But like, if you think about space and being able to see that and the perspective it might give you to be able to see the world from space, as a human experience, I just think that that's something that everybody should have access to if that's something that's possible, right? Yeah. So, 
usually these things come in, in the phases of of gradual implementation and gradual um, commonization, if that's even a word. But you know, slowly, slowly getting the interest up there, and then capital interest follows. Once the market demand follows, capital interest follows, and then very gradually you see the price of things slowly start going down. You know what I mean? So that's just like the natural progression of of these things. When trains first came about, it was when when uh let's say public trans public trains first came about it was only the reserve for the rich that could experience that way of locomotive and then over time the demand increases and the price goes down i think we see something similar with that now am i going to be going i would love to go i'd love to go at some point i think that'd be cool why not yeah but i mean i think to go back to the point about like yeah eventually demand will go down but i think for better or worse whoever gets to go first and build things and establish a culture in any given space is, is important, right? Like if they, if people go up into space and they decide, well, there are so few restaurants in space that all of the restaurants are black tie. Right. And now it's like, Oh, well now, even if I could potentially afford to go to space, I don't have a suit and tie. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't, why does every, why does every, why does everything have to, why does everything, every experience, even something that's so important for humans, your humanity have to be filtered through that capitalist system? Why can't people just have access to the thing? Because humans made a way to have access to the thing. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, you're, to some extent, you're right. Like that, that is what would happen. Eventually it would be, there would be public transport. You'd be able to take the shuttle bus version of the tour. You know what I mean? rather than the luxury space ride to the ele moving elevator thing. But like, I just think that the fact that we default to just being like, well, let the market f decide who gets that is, it's everything. And I think that just speaks to that. Yeah, it does. And the difficult thing about, the difficult thing about the market being able to, to determine things is that sometimes you'll have companies, for instance, that would want to be able to make that happen, but are binded by, let's say, the capital costs that come into making that, you know? So when when someone's going to invest in being able to create something of that sort, one, they need to be able to get some cash from somewhere to be able to build, let's say, a space hotel. Now, whoever's lending that capital is now going to insist on there having to be a return for it. And in order to get the quickest return, you have to increase the prices, increase the experience, cater to the people that would be able to pay for that experience, uh, you know, catered to that bracket, that 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 uh, that value bracket. Is it a four-star hotel? Is it a five-star hotel? Those things absolutely matter as well in terms of the packaging that you're qualified for to charge. So, capital interest definitely it it it, it doesn't allow for the most open, welcoming thing of it. But even people with the right intentions, of, like making a public space station, are still binded down by by costs at times. Big facts, big facts. Mr. Bells, yeah. we, have, we have to let the people know that we had some technical difficulties that cut us right there. However, jumping back into the show, I have a, I have a, I have a question for you, sir, and it's, it's actually a little bit off, uh, off script. I know we didn't prep for this, and it's also a little bit off of uh, our usual structure, but I, I, it's something that I've been thinking about today, and I wanted to bring it forward to you, right, which is, do you think people that grow up in difficult environments are able to withstand a higher level of hurt and pain and of tragedy? Nah. I think people that grow up in difficult environments are forced to adapt and they don't always adapt in the healthiest possible way they often adapt in whatever ways will allow them to move forward and just to get through the day, right? And that also that often manifests as challenges later that like of just things that you haven't dealt with internally. So I wouldn't, I'd be careful about saying that people who are raised in di difficult situations are more able to deal with pain and hardship because I don't want to minimize how much that pain and hardship still affects those people, regardless of what situation that they're born into. You know what I mean? Like, no matter how, no matter where you were born, you're still as human as everybody. You still feel pain and you still feel that as much as anybody else. 
those people often are forced to develop mechanisms to confront and deal with that pain in different ways. And depending on when that when that difficult situation starts and who's around them, they they might not always have the tools to do that in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that you think about because, you know, when we are when we do a lot of the work that we do, which is saying foods to orphanages, um, even within our own families at times, you know, people that, that are in um people that are in uh impoverished areas, right? It's the the amount of pain that people are dealing with is 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 quite is quite intense. You know, it's quite intense, which is why I always suggest to people who people who, who would like purpose and, and, and understanding of life to throw themselves into into helping somebody, into helping people, throw themselves into joining an organization, throw themselves into starting a foundation, throw themselves into assisting in some capacity with people that are less fortunate. And it gives you so much gratitude about the life that you have because people are really going through some very, very serious things, some very deep, dark things. Yeah. I think there's a lot in what you said, right? When you say like, throw yourself into helping people. Um, there's a quote from, uh, I think it's Cornell West, but I, I heard it from Tavis Smiley. So either way, I got my bases covered. But it's, you can't lead the people if you don't love the people. And you can't save the people if you don't serve the people, right? And so when you say throw yourself into uh, to helping others, that involves a lot of things, right? It involves humbling yourself. It involves getting to know yourself and getting to understand the spaces around you and, and the people that need help, right? So there's a lot of internal work to be done with that. And that work is healing, I find, right? When you start to think about, I want to like, because part of that process, okay, I want to help people who, where, what matters to me, you know, what are, what are the things that I've experienced and what strikes a chord with me and what are the areas in which I might be willing to work or extend effort for just the good of it. And I think, yeah, learning those things about yourself is part of healing. It definitely, definitely. And again, you know, if anything else, this, we, we try and make sure that this space is, is open for, 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 the, for that for that reason, you know, people that are looking for a dose of positivity and a, and a dose of and a dose of joy. So it's just it's just something that I was thinking of something that I was just thinking about. You know what I mean? And I'm glad uh and I knew you were the right person to ask and that this all the way live community was the right ones to bring this question to. So shot thank you for letting me Perfect. thank you for letting me share that. Mr. Miles Xavier, can you please take us to our current news, please? Yeah, yeah. So let me let me bring you back to let me bring me let's bring us back to this question. This question of if people who operate in capitalism uh and people who are making various investments to uh, like achieve, you know, whatever ends whether that's purely profit or whether that is beneficial to more than one's own self your your investments make you beholden to your previous investments your next investment and whatever the costs of doing your current business are and so is it possible and all of that is dictated by the market of supply and demand and so with all of those forces all of those invisible hands as they call them in economics right on on your project is it possible for that to be rooted in in something moral and how that loops into our current news is our boy hove has just uh sold title for to the tune of 297 million dollars well if we're getting specific about it the new york times says that square acquires majority of title jay-z streaming service and 297 million dollar deal what did Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey talk about when they went yachting around the Hamptons together last summer? I hate how New York Times writes like that. Like, just, just give me the facts. Square, the mobile payments company led by Mr. Dorsey, who owns Twitter, by the way, announced on Thursday it's planned to acquire a significant majority of Tidal, the streaming music service owned by Jay-Z and other artists, including Beyonce, Jay-Z's wife, and Rihanna, who is a client of Jay-Z's entertainment management company, Rocks Nation. 
Square will pay $297 million in stock and cash for the stake in title. Jay-Z will join Square's board. Damn. Word. Hey, congratulations for reading. We appreciate you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so so he sells he sells title and this loops into a conversation that we had last week about him also selling Ace of Spades, right? And so the what I had expressed during that conversation was that I feel like it's dope that he's getting money. It's dope that black products are being recognized as valuable and companies that have the momentum to have longevity and that companies are seeing that and, and willing to pay for that and incorporate that into the portfolio. But I liked there was a black champagne that I could go use. And I said during that conversation, we'd heard rumors of title being sold and I liked that my streaming service was black. No longer. You know what I mean? Now there's a yeah. different conversation as you mentioned about the artists, the artists owning it and what that, what that says about the music industry. Now that that's a minority share, now that Jay-Z is not the majority shareholder, that conversation changes a little bit too, but it's, I'm glad that they kept and noted that they mentioned often that the artists kept their shares of, of title. But yeah, I, I certainly, as a user that was like, I was glad that my streaming service was black. I don't feel the same way about, about title anymore. Yeah, and, and, it, and it brings us to the question of how how black, what, what is our loyalty to, to black brands, right? Like how black do we want a black establishment to be in order for it to qualify for um, any consumer that is that seeks black owned businesses only? So for instance, with Bevel, right? Bevel was the, 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 sh- the man's shaving, shaving, uh, the man's shaving. Uh, Word, I bought my pops a Bevel. It's yeah, it's a, it's a razor. It's like embedded in like a, 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 like the head that you would hold almost like a Gillette razor, but it's allows you to encase a straight razor that way. So it gives you a real clean shave, especially if you have curly hair and it was designed for black men, right? In the sense, or black people with curly hair. So shout out to Bevel. Shout out to Bevel. Now Bevel got sponsored, uh, not Bevel got uh, financed by Procter and Gamble, I believe. Uh, I think it was a $50 million deal that they got that they got to them. So now that there is a bigger interest in a white-owned entity into what we have just described as a strong black-owned company, the question then is, does that and, and it's the right it's the right question for us to ask as users, which is at what point is is it does it still qualify for it to be considered a fully black-owned company? My personal belief is that some companies require additional capital in order to grow and increase the type of impact that they want to do. It's possible that title is unable to garner as much momentum and attention because it does not have the capital and does not have the capital to be able to rely on some of the incentives that let's say some of the other music streaming services would have. We know that Spotify comes with massive capital. We know that Apple music comes with massive capital. So they're able to then, for instance, get Drake into these Apple exclusive deals and, you know, usher out some of these other other uh, financial things that they can do. Let's say, for instance, yeah, let's put this into perspective. The Joe Rogan deal going to Spotify is more than what Jay-Z's deal is. No, 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 I'm lying. I'm totally lying. Yo, are you there? I'm there. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, okay, okay. The connection was timing up, but I think we are back. Right. All right, cool. Ready? Yep. All right, cool. The, so the Joe Rogan, if we're putting it to perspective, the Joe Rogan deal, a $100 million deal, is half of what this whole majority stakeholdership in Jay-Z's deal is, right? A third. It's a third. Because it's, it's one hundred million, a, and there's it's a, it's a ninety-seven million, so it's a third. yeah. It's it's a third, and but, so but I, that's, contract, that's still not to cut you, not to cut you, but just to finish off the thought, right? One contract of one yeah. entertainer on one platform is a third of majority stakeholdership of an entire platform. You know, so the capital the capital differences are quite significant. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I think the question that brings to mind is like, do you have to be a, do you have to be a giant to, to survive? Right. Like 
there might be something to be said for just being the black owned, the black owned company and the artist owned company. And maybe, yeah, you're never going to be Spotify. You're never going to be Apple music because you don't have one. You're first of all, you're never going to be Apple and Spotify ain't Apple because of the hardware base, but you got Spotify. Like you don't have to, are we, do you have to be Spotify or do you have to be competing to be one of the top major players or is there room for the, and, and yeah, for sure. You can, like, I, I, I'll be corny and say the moral option. Right. But like, just be like, yeah, this is, this is just the black owned. This is the black owned version. And you know what I mean? Like Shea butter by, you know, homegirl is never going to be the same as Jergens, or is never going to be the same as, you know, these huge companies, right. That, but there's a market for it. People need it. Let, let me, let's, let's, let's get a little bit more specific and personal, which is something that we both have said we wanted to be able to do on this podcast. Right. So Paul, one of, one of my, uh, one of my, my occupations and businesses is a food delivery service in Namibia, which has now grown to be the largest food delivery service in Namibia, right? Chomi, Chomi Bites, um, founded by CJ Dumeni, who is our CEO. Chomi Bites. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I can't allow you to speak on, on Chomi Bites without knowing your credentials, sir. Are you, are you, are you, who are you to speak for, for Chomi? Oh, uh, uh, I'm the CFO right now. I'm the, I'm the CFO right now and, um, and, and an equity holder. I, I oh, own. Oh. Excuse me. <laughs> I said, excuse me. But I'm an equity holder as well, right? So where we are, right, where we are in the infancy of the startup, which has been operating now going on to two years, is that like, we need to expand our operation. Right. What we have seen is that we have gotten 50, 50 different drivers jobs in a, in a market where unemployment is going, unemployment is through the roof. There's no job opportunities. There's 50 drivers that are uploading onto our site. You know what I mean? We've given 50 new people opportunities to, to get some passive income. Um, the, we want to be able to increase that. Thank you. Thank you. I thought that, I thought that was some fly stuff too. So we want to be able to increase that, that impact. Right. And so part of the whole, part of why I took on this project and why it excited me so much is that it gives us the opportunity to try and move an entire group of people that are not yet hooked onto the digital, a, a digital economy. We're trying to get them to move into that digital economy. So, so some of the, some of the, 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 the issues that we have to solve are, what makes somebody comfortable enough to be able to purchase something online? Like what, what makes them comfortable to exchange cash out, right? And so what we, what we realized from very early on is one, you have to meet the market where it is. We're meeting, we're speaking to these people. We, we start on WhatsApp and on Facebook. And then from there, migrated them to a website and now migrating them to the app store that has now launched, right? So slowly guiding people towards this process of digitalization. We are growing at a rate now where we need to take on more capital in order to hire more people to run the operations, pay the drivers more capital, um, get some hardware into some of these different restaurants and stuff that don't have, um, that don't have let's say, uh, tablets or phones in order to upload their orders onto our system. And also move into our second phase of growth, which is last mile logistics, right? Which is now hooking onto, uh, putting our API onto the e-commerce stores and then delivering all of the food into the e-commerce stores, introducing things such as same day delivery into Namibia, which is something that is not necessarily, is not a, a, a promise when it comes to e-commerce. We're bringing in one hour or less food delivery, which is something that they've never seen before. So in order to be able to have that impact, we need to take on capital. Now, as we are a, black, a fully black owned company, however, I'm the capital that we want to interest is white capital. Sure. Right. You see, you see what I'm saying? So it, it, to me, when I see, let's say title being having majority shares bought into square, I don't immediately run to the thought of, Oh man, it's, it's, it's no longer a black company or whatever. I run to, 
oh, now it has more capital to probably execute on some of its main initiatives that it wanted to do in the first place. Yeah, for sure. And I think, but what are those? Does it though? Because it doesn't have, does it have the room to capture the main initiatives that it had in the first place, which was artist ownership? I think if Jay-Z is divesting from it, significantly hinders how much it was artist owned. I don't think that Jack Dorsey's buying of it is to further the dream of what title could be as uh, as a cha- a game changer in the music space. I think it's Twitter is struggling to compete with Instagram and TikTok and needs to integrate music quickly. Mm. And title is a was low hanging fruit as a place to get that. So. Mm. We, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on your perspective on what the what the best intentions of the market are and what the market demands and whether or not the first thing that occurs to you in a business sense is that it's no longer black owned. The fact of the matter is that it's no longer black owned. And to, and to me, that makes a that makes a difference. And I and R.I. rest in white ownership title. <laughs> no, but listen, and you're very much entitled <laughs> entitled. You're very much entitled to have that opinion as a consumer, right? You're very, very much within your rights to to decide what your what your barometer of what constitutes as a black company is, and and I fully, fully encourage all consumers to think that way is is to hold their their dollars and their and their capital and their money as making as a decision to support into something that you believe in and or support into something that you don't. If you want to be able to see more black businesses, support and choose with your dollars in order to support more black businesses. If there's a certain standard of things that you believe companies should be doing, take your capital and force it into the companies that are doing that which you do. It's inconvenient right now, but the more people add that cash into there, then it starts starts becoming a norm. And like we had mentioned earlier in the podcast, it starts becoming cheaper and more available for people. So, you know, people people treat your money like your like your rights, like your vote. Yeah, for sure. And it will be very interesting to see if we ever hear anything from Tidal again. Because as somebody who doesn't use like uh anything but potentially like SoundCloud as a main music like apparatus, I like just actually deal with the raw like the mp3 files and like buy music and download it and stuff so but i use title because it was black owned and i when i speak to other people that are even like music heads right nobody else uses title except black people that use that, that i know right so we're again just speaking from my experience but nobody else that i know uses title except people that use it because it's black owned so i wonder how much of the base of title are users that use it for that reason now it has some fire features that i think out outclassed a lot of the other streaming services namely the fact that it was the first place that i saw a playlist organized by producer that's fire so there were some amazing things about title but it'll be interesting to see what it becomes or if it just fades into the background as a supplemental aspect of of what twitter is trying to evolve into or because yeah man i don't know how many people use title just because they thought it was the best streaming service and that's also because of its price point, right? The title price point came in significantly higher than what the other streaming services were offering at the time. You know, six there's some streaming services did seven dollar deals, eleven dollar deals where title was coming in at twenty dollars at a time where that was significantly higher than what the market was going for. So that that immediately definitely um, put people off of, of title, and then also uh, they don't. That was still at a time where there was a lot of exclusive wars that were being had between the different. Um, between the different streaming services, who gets to drop whose music first and things of that nature. Tidal couldn't compete. It also coincided at the same time where Kanye West was having that fallout with Jay-Z as well. So I think that either could have put a dent in there or something to that sort. And also the way that they rolled out the, their platform initially, I don't think was was the most appropriate way to to introduce it. They They kind of paraded the artists around as if just advocating, you know, they kind of, it was a little, they were parading the, the, the artists around a bit, a little bit. It was a little, it wasn't what you'd expect. A little bit, right? So, so I think that that, I mean, and tell me where you want to go with this. We can roll this into, I think, a larger conversation about, about Hove and, and 
who he is and what he means to us if we want to keep it personal and and how the evolution of that or we can dive into some to some other shit i'll leave it up to you hey listen, i'm wearing I, wear best so i can't i can't do anything but be about it no but like um and i and i like i like where i like where you're taking us with it the the, the conversation that i see in that question lies in a, a millennial's point of view of hope right like who do, what who does hope uh what does hope mean to some your 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 mid to late 20s your generation your generation why we're generation why oh well yeah i haven't i'm uh yeah i don't know if yeah is that what they is that the alt the aka for millennials generation y I think, I think uh, so. we are. We're, are we millennials? Yes, yes for sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. We're, we're so, I would say I know for sure that my perspective on hope does not reflect the general perspective on on Jay Z for the the average millennial, the average person my age. Right. I think I have been more affected and have sought out more information on Jay Z than most people my age. So for sure my i don't i don't really represent what people think i don't know i don't know i would say they don't really care that much i don't know i don't think millennials care that much about jay-z he, to most millennials jay-z is beyonce's wife or beyonce damn wow it's great like that but i love hope too much to stay straight like that jay-z is beyonce's husband you say damn. nobody loves jay-z the way you love jay-z no i'm saying i'm sure beyonce loves jay-z much more that he matters as much to most millennials as he matters to me yeah i again i think it but it goes back into a hip-hop thing because there's there's some millennials that i know that equally are as passionate about about jay-z for i mean it's i heard some i heard somebody say jay-z uh they said drake is beyonce for niggas and i i think that's hilarious but if you want to if you, if you want to put where we place jay-z you would have to, it would have to be next to Oprah for me. Whatever, whoever Oprah is, is who Jay-Z is to me in the sense that they're both people that had, um, that had a, a late start in their careers, had a lot of attention on them, carried, carried their, their respective talents at the forefront of their, at the forefront of their, of their, uh, of their art and, and pushed it forward and were breaking boundaries in the type of, um, different spaces and, and ways that they they increase their network and increase their their businesses and and have been dominating and have graced so and have and have aged so gracefully. Jay Z is Jay Z is, is is Oprah, bro. I think that's a great comparison. I think that's a I think that's one of the more accurate. Like, yeah, that's great. That's that's well done because I think that that's that's spot on in the sense that. There are some things that I kind of look at Oprah side-eyed for, right? Her criticisms of, ironically, hip-hop, for one, right? Mm. And there are things I look at Hove side-eyed for, like the NFL deal, right? What 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 became of that? <laughs> you know what I mean? That Certainly became, nothing that... <laughs> the weekend came, shook himself over, and then <laughs> it's finished. Nothing that reflected the degree of seriousness that the discussions about around the NFL were being had at that time. And so I think just kudos to the fire. That's a fire comparison. Yeah. 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 I'm glad. I'm glad we're able to get I think to that Yeah, man. Yeah, and, man. So what do you want to do? You want to, you want to give, you want to give hope some more love? We can do it all day. I got the vinyl on the wall. I'll go get it. I'll read the back of it. I'll show you some pictures or you want to do some other shit. Yeah, we can both go get our whole art, show it to the fans, discuss to it. What if we could, we literally could do this all day? Hey, man, but we still got some recommendations and reviews. Literally to get could in. do that. We got some recommendations and reviews to get in for the people, man. We got we got a few things now. Tell me, why did you watch Coming to America too? Why would you do that to yourself? Uh, because. The first one is a classic, and because, I mean, yeah, this is the this is the uh, the Black Support Network show. Like, yeah, man, for sure. Like, I, 
it's a black movie. It's Eddie Murphy. I support that. I will I will cast my hour and a half stream as one of the numbers that was like, yeah, if y'all continue to make movies like this and get these folks, I will watch. I didn't so, go into it thinking it was going to be good, but go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you. So what's your, what's your rating on the, on the movie? How is it? Well, there's one, there's, there's one thing that encapsulates the whole movie, right? And if you want me to blow your mind later, and this should be some Patreon shit, I'll explain to you why Gemini Man doesn't work and what movie. I had a conversation with Freddie about this. Bruh, I'll blow your mind. But I still haven't watched Gemini back Man. Back to, uh, oh, dude, oh, well. Then you kind of won't, you'll still kind of get it, but. Yeah, you'll still kind of get it, but it's, it blew my mind because I watched the movie and I was like, this is a good, bad movie. And then I, Freddie was like, he gave me some game and he was like, this is what it was supposed to be. And I was like, whoa. And they couldn't do it because they weren't ready to risk it. But anyway, anyway, back to... Uh, coming to America too. <laughs> but coming to America too. Coming to America too. So there's one thing. It's, it's, the original movie was rated R. This movie is rated PG-13. That tells you everything you need to know about what this is right there, right? The fact that they had a classic movie that was basically for Black folks made with Black people in mind, and it was a hit, and it was a bigger hit than they ever thought it was. So that they finally got the cast of it, who have all had a lot of success since then, back together to do the second movie, and they were like, all right, but we're going to make this, we're going to get the money on this one. We're going to drop the R rating. We're going to make sure that, you know, they relied, when you watch the movie, you could tell they relied a lot more on just like, and here's this person rather than like the actual story or like mm -hmm. any actual content. It's just like, turn the camera to a star. Look at a star. It's Tracy Morgan. It's Eddie Murphy. You know what I mean? It's Lunell. It's, you know, all these different people. And it's like, while those people are incredibly entertaining, you can tell that this movie wasn't trying. It thought it had all the pieces and there's no glue. Oh, yeah. Also, it's not focused on Eddie. It's focused on his son. And they did hire a comic actor to do this. They just hired an unknown actor. The whole reason Coming to America works is because Eddie Murphy's in every scene and he bodies it. I was watching it thinking they should have made the son. Big facts. Ooh. They should have made DC Young Fly the song. Ooh. That would have been a more exciting movie. movie. Yeah. Thousand percent. One thousand percent. But you can't have DC Young Fly. I mean, you could have DC Young Fly in a PG-13 movie, but make it rated R and make DC Young Fly the song. And that's a movie that's going to hit. Review. Recommended. There you have Yeah, it. for sure. <laughs> But still go watch it because although despite everything I just said, it's not it's not a bad watch at all. It's just not as good as the first one. It's still funny. It's still cool to look at. It's in Rick Ross's house. Their fits are crazy. Like the music is dope. Tiana Taylor's in it. Like there's a whole bunch of reasons to watch it. It's a, it's not a bad watch at all. But it's not it's not a true follow up to the first one. What's what's our very quick top three black movies? That could be Top the black, black movies. That could Hayden be the Ford. black artist, black act. Uh, sorry, black act, a director, or all black cast. Uh, I mean, in no particular. Peyton, and then I gotta put do the right thing, and. Man, uh, 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 on I might put here. the bad boys in there. You are, you are. I might put. That's my hot take. Through, paid in full, bad boys do the right thing. I have to go. Mo better blues. Paid in <sighs> full. Dang it! <laughs> it's too late. It's too yeah, late. Mo better blues. Pay for right. Right. more better blues and then snakes on a plane. Snakes on, bruh. Matter of fact, let's get them. That movie is. I just watched that movie recently. That movie is fire.
Like, if you just need a movie to just, like, it's the perfect movie to just watch and be like, there was a time when we cared about nothing so much that we put Samuel Jackson on a plane full of snakes and just let him say motherfucker over and over again. And we were happy. It's, that's a beautiful. Oh, why watch snakes on a plane? It's good times, good times. And yo, before we even get out of here, bro, we did see UFC 257 this week. Was it 257? Oh, no. But it was a 10 out of 10. You know what I mean? It was a fire card. Oh, did we lose him? We done lost him. I'm, I'm, we done I'm, lost I'm, his I'm, way. Listen, I'm, it's a great UFC. Listen. Bows were thrown. Blows was bodied. It was a whole lot going on, man. Let me tell you. Let me break it down for y'all, man. Real quick, real quick. Let me tell y'all what happened, man. It was it was a card of, of the century, man. We had we had uh Tiago Santos was fighting Rocky. Yep. Rocky won. Tiago Santos took that L, but mm-hmm. he'll be back. Tiago Santos is a warrior, and it was a uh, it was by decision. You know what I mean? So he didn't he didn't uh he didn't stop him and that man can't be stopped. He'll be back. We had uh, Drew versus uh, Machev. Machev? I don't know how to say that. Machev? I think I'm getting close. My fault. It's my love fault, but Yeah, that one. My, my, whatever, whatever it is, my apologies for butchering his name, but he butchered that other man on the octagon. So yes. it's a lot of butchering going on, okay? He messed that man up. He messed Dover up. I'm sorry. You know, we always, we always got to be, you got to always acknowledge that to get in that ring, you got to be a warrior. But man, he got messed up in a fashion that reminded me very much of Khabib. Yes. And even going to that Khabib talk, um, we do know that they're all, they're from the same Dagestan. They're from Dagestan. They're from the same camp. Khabib was actually even in the ring with Islam uh, after he fought and won. These guys do ground and pound. That's their game. They take it to the floor. They uh, they 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 mole you. They want to mole you, and that's what they do very very well. Shout out to Islam. You can tell it's that head. It's the I'm gonna put this head all over mm-hmm. your chin, and you are gonna feel it. It's tough. It's a lot of pressure. What, what, pressure. One thing, pressure, one thing pressure, I love pressure. about the UFC is that you can see the tech, how technical this this sport is. So when you're watching. Uh, when you're watching a Khabib or Islam wrestle and how they, they, they leverage body weights and how they shift body weights and control the movements, you know, these guys aren't necessarily massive, but they're so technical in the way that they understand body maneuver and body placements and pressure placements. It's, it's, it's so, it, you cannot watch that and not think that it's, it's high level chess. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, high level and high stakes, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see a body part get trapped and then the pressure. Scary. Scary. Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain. Aljamain Sterling from Jamaica. He felt the pressure of Peter Jan. And let me tell you, it wasn't looking good for our brother Aljamain until an illegal knee. His knee was down. Aljamain's knee was down. So now if your knee is down, if you're down, you cannot be kneed in the face. No. No kneeing in the face. Y'all need him in the face. Take a knee to the face. Now. Not, he, he heard him. He heard him. We, we, I think we should tell people that we were watching this fight together. And it, it was after he kneed him in the, in, the, in, the, in the head. He kneed him at the side of the head. The disqualified Jan was clearly winning the fight before that, and then Aljamain wins the championship. So Aljamain wins the fight by virtue of disqualification. The controversy, Miles Xavier, is you think that Aljamain started to do a little bit of sauce on, on, on those tears, on his reaction. I think in this high-stakes game of chess, he saw an opportunity. I think he was... For sure hurt. The move was without question illegal. And before I say anything else, who am I to tell anybody what he was feeling in that moment? But the vibes that I got when I was watching him, me personally, my perspective, was that he was hurt and he knew he was losing the fight. And he knew that if he didn't 
if he didn't give any sign that he would be ready or that, you know what I mean? That he would, not that he wanted to, he gave lots of signs that he wanted to fight, but no signs that he was able or ready to fight. And I think he knew that if he didn't do that, the fight would be that Jan would be disqualified and that he would be the champion. I don't think that's how he wanted to win. I think he's a true fighter and a true warrior, but I think in that moment, that's a little bit of career chess. Maybe a little bit, of, a little bit of sauce, but he's a hundred percent in the right. Cause the move is illegal. And that's exactly what should have happened anyway. I just saying I'm giving him the credit of knowing that. I, I see that. I see that. What my only retort is to that is that I've never been round four of yeah. a five round championship match against a UFC. What, what, what weight class, a UFC bantamweight champion i've never been i've never swam those waters before so i don't know how how hard they be i would assume pretty hard and 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 yeah. i just and i'd assume anybody that can fight up until the point where they're in front of that opportunity and fighting against somebody like peter Yan, and people that are been able to fight through adverse regardless of of how bad they've been injured now that's that's what i see from it but i can totally i you know i respect i respect your view well said. And yeah, I also just want to add that that's his body that's on the line, right? So when you're in that ring, if you're even if you are a little bit impaired, am I going to go stand in front of this dangerous man again after being impaired and kind of chance it with my with my face and head some more, right? Mm-hmm. That that's also it, the fight absolutely should have been stopped. Yeah, absolutely should have been disqualified and what happened was exactly what should have happened. What happened is what we would expect to happen. Just like whenever Amanda Nunes steps in the ring, we know what's going to happen. At this point, know. I, there's nobody. There's, there's who, who can stop Amanda Nunes is the question. And the answer is nobody. Not me. <laughs> not, not me. <laughs> not me. And I don't not care. Me. Who here is listening and is thinking to themselves, oh, she's a girl, maybe me. No, no. Not you. Not you. (laughs) (laughs) Not you. Word. Not you. Yo, yo, shout out to her, man. There's nothing but, there's not too much to be said. Megan Anderson, she's, she's, she looked like she was, especially in her promo videos, she looked ready. She looked like she said all the right things leading up to the fight. Uh, she did have a little bit of a size and I think a little bit of a reach advantage, but I think she did have to cut weight for the fight. I think that definitely, it's not going to help you when you're taking punches from Amanda Nunes. So it went yeah. how we expected it to go. Champion, kudos to her, man. Get that money. I seen her in those Modelo commercials. I'm buying Modelo because of that. This is the support episode, man. Look, this is the BIPOC, you know, economic support episode. Big facts. Go buy Modelo because I think Amanda Nunes is getting a cut of that. I did straight like that. Yeah, no, she um she she's a beast. She's an absolute beast. I think they're just gonna keep feeding her women and have her knock them out the first round. The same thing happens every time. Everyone gets into the ring, they face up, she hits them in the face, and then it very quickly ends from there. <laughs> then it starts going downhill quick. Then it starts ending. <laughs> it starts ending. Very <laughs> it starts ending very and it's not to say that these women on top, I mean. Megan Anderson is six feet. She's, this is, and she's been, she's been pounding, you know, she's been, she's been hurting girls for a while. Now, some people would say that that's good. That is a, is a roadman in, in male, in the, in the, in the male division, you know, someone with that type of record, but that being said, she is a dangerous fighting girl. And Amanda Nunes just so happens to be an even more dangerous or fighting her girl. Are you a, Nah, 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 nah. Don't do nah, that. Don't, don't pay me. Don't pay me with that brush. <laughs> don't pay me with that brush. You put that brush down. <laughs> you put that brush you down. Because you knew what you said. You knew what you said. I'll, I'll cut <laughs> it out if I have to, but don't pay me with that brush. <laughs> you can have people thinking Yo, also. So- a journeyman in the male division with that record of pounding girls out. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, son. <laughs> hey, man, it Come is what on, it is. Man. It is Yo, what it Journeyman is. is the name of the episode. Make journeyman sure y'all listen is. to figure out what that means. Journeyman and last is. but not least, 
Last but not least, we have Izzy. Our guy Izzy. And Black Blackovich. Um this this one, this one, this one, this one hurt, man, because this one it did like I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of Izzy. We're both big Izzy fans, man. Izzy's a Izzy's a star. And I was commenting after he lost the fight how he is so poised and composed and exudes the air of 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 a of a champion superstar. And I don't think seeing that man lose that fight in the way that he did diminishes any of his star power in my eyes whatsoever. If anything, it confirms to me how how talented of a fighter he is, how brave of a fighter he is, and how he is so just about the sport and being able to fight the best people that he can fight. Yeah, 100%, man. I think, uh, I, I think, I think we got to give Jan his props. You know what I yeah. mean? It's, it's always, it's always tough. You want to, you want to support your guy, the, the person that, you know, you rode with as far as their career and, you know, yeah, Izzy, even listening to him speak in interviews and podcasts is somebody who is definitely uh, a man of the people, and I'm certainly one of those people. But Jan did an amazing job, man. You know, he, he, he came in and he did what he needed to do. He applied the pressure. He hit him with punches that had everything to him. The hip rotation, the whole, his whole body weight's in there. And with that weight difference, with Wizzy, Izzy trying to step up a weight class, that I think that made the difference in the fight, especially when it got to the ground. Yeah, I think the weight class, the weight jump is evidently, was evidently the, the deciding point here in, in this match. Going into it, you know, the first two rounds started off on the feet. I think they split those rounds 1-1. The first round, they're kind of feeling each, out, each other out. Um, you could give it to, to Jan if you want to. That's when somebody landed some of those heavy shots. Going into the second round, that's when Izzy really started getting into his flow of, um, you know, really started getting into his flow of, of kickboxing and whatnot. Once it got into the fourth, the third and fourth round, that's when Jan decided to just completely out wrestle him, and that's that's what happened from there. It's that, and I thought, and I thought about it is that because I was, I was, as I was thinking about the fight, I thought to myself, you have Izzy who won some rounds definitely going into the fifth round, you could have split it two two. However, when Izzy was dominating in the rounds that he won, it never looked like Jan was in a position where he was completely being overwhelmed. However, in the rounds that Jan won, he was completely dominating Izzy. He, was, he wasn't able to do anything whatsoever once he, once he, he, he started wrestling him and, and grinding and pounding him. I think, yeah, I think that's a great assessment of how to, you know, there were obviously, it was, it was a unanimous decision different judges scored it different ways. And I think the way that you just kind of characterized the difference in how it looked when, you know, Yan was winning the fight versus how it looked when Wizzy was, Izzy is winning the fight. I keep calling him Wizzy, but Izzy was winning the fight. Um, so, yeah, so it was, it was a great fight, great card. Uh, it was an honor to be able to, to be able to catch up with, uh, with you and, and our peoples and gather around to, to watch that together on Zoom. Yeah, man, yeah. I appreciate that ritual, quality of content that the UFC continues to bring, and uh, I'm excited to see to see Izzy continue to grow, man. I think now he knows this. Everybody saw that, mm. so now the wrestling got to be real. Yeah. Everybody saw that, so now the wrestling got to be real. And I think Izzy, with real serious wrestling skills, is is real dangerous and looks very familiar. If you've been watching the UFC. Mm, for sure especially because when it was still kickboxing he was it was top you know his kickboxing was absolutely top you could in in his striking capabilities and in his movements and in his confidence going into the third round he really did you know you know what it reminded me of bro remember when uh you remember when the mountain fought the in game of thrones Oberyn tyrell he's fought Oberyn tyrell and Obring is is winning in the first rounds. He's he's the he's the he's the smaller fighter. The he's viper. More, he's the viper. He's the viper. And he's more agile, and he and he bounces around and everything. And it looks like he's fighting. Then right at the end, they just crush him down. That's that's kind of what it went went like this fight. Yeah.
yeah, damn, you 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 body in this. Yeah, for sure. That's a great comparison as well. It's a great comparison as well. Izzy's uh yeah, he's clearly hard to hard to match with on the feet. He's so dangerous with the angles that he finds and the different ways he can attack you. But yeah, when you get on the when you get him on the ground, especially with that weight difference, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I think that makes uh it makes the John Jones fight the the talk of Izzy versus John Jones, like, oh, we kind of know that you can't wrestle with John. So yeah. that's, that's looking a little that's looking yeah. a little different. But I also think that, like I said, Izzy with that wrestling game is is, is quite a quite a force to be reckoned with. So For we'll sure. See. For sure. Now, with the John Jones, you, he's going to have to put a little bit of respect on John Jones' names because that is a division that John Jones dominated. Dominated. So much so, left that division, dominates in an even bigger division over there. So, you know, I, the goal is always to fight the greats, and John Jones is definitely the great. Then Izzy, being the fighter that he is, I'm sure has that on his hit list. But that being said, um, boys to men, bro. Boys to men. Big facts. Big facts. Hey, cuz. I think we're serving them a hot and helping. A content man. I think so. Anything too. else? I think so too, Miles Xavier. Um, and you know, we we are very thankful for everybody for joining us onto the show, man. Catch us every Wednesday on on all of your DSPs. That is, you know, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever the whatever the case is. Shout out to the people. Recommend some things to us because we know. Yeah, we know, man. We aware. Nah, I mean, it's real. And still y'all here, you know? So the fact that y'all got so many podcast options to choose from, and y'all continue to rock with us, that's a beautiful thing, man. We appreciate y'all. We hope y'all feel welcome in this space. Welcome to like, comment, subscribe, recommend com topics, but also seen and heard and represented. And if not, tell us, man, interact with us. So we appreciate y'all, man. This is what? It's a celebration of what? It's a celebration of life. Mm-hmm. Celebration. Celebrating. It's a celebration of being black. Don't it feel good to be black? My favorite thing. Man, listen. Wherever y'all at, y'all need to eat something delicious and go watch snakes on the plane. Like that. Peace. Water. We gone.